today called Felt Board Faith. We started this series last week, and we're basically talking about uh, childhood kind of Bible stories. Come on, how many of you guys remember the felt board? Anybody? I know I'm dating myself. Thank you for being honest. You remember that felt board? And if you remember the felt board, no doubt you remember seeing this story on the felt board, and that is Daniel in the lion's den. And so what we want to do is I'm actually going to call my son up here. Come on, AJ. Come up here with me. I want to ask him some questions. Give AJ a hand as he comes. Here you go, my friend. Man, you're looking sharp today, buddy. Yeah? Look good, man. I hear you. So, hey, Aiden, we're talking about Daniel in the lion's den today. Tell me a little bit about what you think that story means. What does that story mean to you? The story means to me is like where um, Dan, um, he prayed in the lion's den, so the angel came down and shut the lion's mouth so he won't get eaten. Amen. That's good, man. Way to go. So let me ask you this question. What do you think it was like in the lion's den? All oh, those lions. What do you think it was like? Very scary and frightening. <laughs> okay. All right. So, hey, when, when Daniel was taken out of the lines in the next morning, he was fine. But then all of the guys that set Daniel up, they got thrown into the lines then. Why do you think they lions ate that, those guys and not Daniel? Because um, Daniel is a man of God. Come on, buddy. You think maybe the angels got, got a little tired from keeping the lines that night? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Give him a hand. Way to go, buddy. So, guys, we are talking about Daniel in the lion's den today, just for a few moments, because I want to make good on your time. I want you to be able to get out and go home and eat a cheeseburger or a hot dog or something like that and just enjoy your day. But here's what I understand about Daniel in the lion's den. When you talk about a story like this, this story is oftentimes kind of challenging because every time you hear this story, you hear it in a kid-like version. So here's Daniel. He's this handsome young man, and he gets thrown into the den with the lions. And, and they're, they're not really lions. They're like little kittens, and he's laying on them at nighttime, just kind of relaxing. But the reality is that nothing in that story was like that. Nothing was like that. For instance, Daniel, at this point in time in the story, is in his 80s. So Daniel is an older man now. He's actually been serving God for eight decades. He's been walking with God. So he's an older man, and these lions, I guarantee you, look nothing like kittens at all. These are ferocious, man-eating lions. And so what I want to do is we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today for the few moments. Daniel chapter 6. And I want to give you a little bit of context before we get into Daniel chapter 6. So what you're going to see here is Daniel is actually serving under a different king. 
King Darius is his name. Now, this is the third king that Daniel has actually served under in his 80 or so years of living. Now, history records that King Darius is an administrative genius. And so one of the first things that King Darius does is reorganizes or restructures, if you will, the whole kingdom. For instance, he sets up, uh, it's an interesting word here, 120 what he calls sea traps. Now, sea traps is just another word for kingdom protector. That's all these guys were. And so their job is to protect against rebellion, to levy the taxes, to guard financial affairs of the nation. In other words, they're simply there to balance the national checkbook. That's what they're there for. So you got 120 of these guys. Over them, you've got three administrators. Daniel was one of the administrators. And so we find that being kind of laid out to us in Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120, here's that word, satraps, who ruled throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, or again, the kingdom protectors, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to do something. The king basically planned to put him in charge over the whole kingdom. And so, again, we see this being spelled out. Here's Daniel, and all throughout his life, we notice several things about him. He's he's standing out. He's serving with an excellent spirit. He's constantly going the extra mile. And so the king looks at Daniel, and the king says, man, Daniel, you are greater than anybody else that's serving in the kingdom. I'm going to put you in charge of everybody. You're going to be second only to me. So, I mean, think about that. That's like promotion, right? I mean, this is a great day for Daniel. I mean, he's gotten promoted. He can worship God. He can serve God. He can tell people about what God is doing. He's continuing on doing what God's called him to do. But what you're going to see is that what looks like a promotion on the outside actually introduces a lot of trouble on the inside. Because Daniel doesn't realize it, but he is about to face one of the biggest offenses in his life. Now, the good news is he came out on the other side of that, and so we can learn some things from this. And so what I want to do in the few minutes I have with you today is I want to give you three truths on how you can stand firm in the midst of offenses, because they're coming Come on, you understand offenses are coming. So how can we stand strong when the offenses come? Now here's, here it is. Truth number one, I want to give you this one right off the bat. Now this is kind of a warning, so don't be surprised when this happens to you. Number one, when God raises you up, Satan will try to pull you down. 
When God raises you up, Satan will try to pull you down. For some of you, you understand what this means like really close to home. Do you remember when you first got saved and you went all in for Jesus and you said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge Hades with a water pistol, man. I'm so excited. I'm going after it. It's going to be great. And you start, you know, you get that excitement, that zeal, that passion, and you get around other Christians and they don't understand you. And so then they look at you and say, it's okay. You're going to settle down one day and be a miserable Christian like me. It's going to be all right. And so that tears you down. You know, I remember remember the night I got saved, man, I ran out and I was telling everybody I could about the greatest decision that I felt like I had made in my life. And so I started telling my friends and here's what they said. I quote this verbatim. One guy looked at me. He said, oh man, you know what? I've tried that before. Give us some time. It'll pass. So again, you understand when God raises you up, when you start doing something great for God, you can expect the enemy of your soul is going to try to pull you down. Maybe God has spoken to some of you and told you to do something that's kind of beyond the norm. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and said, hey, I want you to give the greatest generous gift you've ever given before. And so you do that. And as soon as you do it, somebody's going to come along and say, man, I can't believe you did something like that. Maybe you want to make a decision to say, you know what? We're going to become a one income family. We want to spend more time with the kids. We want to take and be with them more. And then someone comes along and says, dude, are you kidding me? You're going to starve to death. You'll never make it. What's happening? It's called the crab syndrome. Come on. Has anybody ever heard of the crab syndrome? How many of you guys love to go to the beach? Come on. See, like nobody, because if you did, you'd be there this weekend. Amen in Jesus' name. But a lot of people love to go to the beach, okay? Just not us, but a lot of people do. So what you do is you get a bucket, and you put a bunch of crabs in the bucket. And inevitably, there's always one brave crab that says, I'm coming out of this thing. And so he starts climbing out of the top of the bucket. And when he does that, the other crabs reach up and grab him and pull him back down As if to say, if we're not getting out, you ain't getting out either. It's called the crab syndrome. And so you have to understand that that's what happens when God raises you up. The enemy of your soul will pull you back down. And some of you right now, you're saying, well, man, Alan, wait a minute. You you said that Satan would try to pull me down, but everything you've just said is around people. So here's the point that I want you to make, and I want you to understand this, because if you don't get this point right here, if you don't get this scripture, then you'll spend your whole life fighting the wrong battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, our fight is not against people on earth. Let me say that again. Our fight is not against people on earth. You're not fighting against your in-laws. You're not fighting against your spouse. You're not fighting against your teenage kids that are just straight up tripolar. You're not fighting against any of that. You're fighting against the enemy of your soul, against rulers, authorities, and powers of this world's darkness, against spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. Again, this is important that you understand this. You're not fighting against one another. 
You're fighting against the enemy of your soul. The, the, the devil is coming to fight against you. And he will oftentimes use people in order to do that. And this is exactly what was happening to Daniel. As we pick up the story in verse 4. It says, because of this, what's he talking about there? Remember, Daniel was promoted, second in command. He's got it all going on. Because of this, the other supervisors and governors tried to find reason to accuse Daniel about his work in the government. But watch the wording here. They could not find anything wrong with him or any reason to accuse him because he was trustworthy and not lazy or dishonest. Finally, look at what these guys said. We'll never find any reason to accuse Daniel unless it is about the law of his God. You know what they're saying? They're saying, man, we have tried to dig up some stuff on this guy. We've tried to say a whole lot of stuff that's not true. Kind of sounds a little bit about like modern politics to me, but we can't find anything unless it has to do with his relationship with God. Could that be said of you? If someone was to spy into your life, if someone was to open up the book which is your life and begin to look at it and start digging and start, could they find anything other than your zeal and your passion for God? Because this is where Daniel was. And here's something you've got to understand. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. This is, a, this is a scripture that ought to stick into your heart. People will insult you and hurt you. They will lie and say all kinds of evil things about you. Why? Because you follow me, Jesus says. But when they do this, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Let me give you a big point right here. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not ready to face offenses for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. Come on, hashtag preach right there. I, like, I like, saw you guys like running laps right then. It's all good. It's the fourth. If you're not ready to face offenses for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. The fact is, when you start moving the kingdom forward, when you start advancing God's kingdom, the enemy is going to come against you. He's going to send offenses your way. And if you're not ready to do all of that and experience all that, then you're just simply not ready to be used by God. And here's where these guys were. They're coming up with all these schemes. And so they go to King Darius and they're buttering up that king. I mean, I don't know what they said. Man, king, dude, you rocking them Nike sandals, brother. They looking good on you. That robe looking like, king, are you losing some weight? I don't know what happened there. They butter this guy up to the point where they say, hey, we want you to issue a decree, issue a law that if anyone prays to any other God other than you, king, for 30 days... We'll throw them in the lion's den. And so Darius was a lot like the kings of his time. He was very vulnerable to pride. Even though he was not God, he liked to be treated like a God. And so he makes this law, puts it in effect. And you understand that this was a problem for Daniel. Because Daniel was known as a great man of prayer. And so this law flies into the face of everything he stood for and believed in. And so with that, Daniel kind of had three options. Now these are not in your notes. You might want to write these down. Daniel had three options. He could have played the victim. Well, Lord, I've been faithful to you for 80 years. 
I've been serving you and I can't believe those guys would do this to me. And I, God, I can't believe you would let this happen to me. He just played the victim. Come on, how many of you know somebody who plays the victim? Don't point at him, just kind of look at him a little bit. Played the victim. The second thing he could have done was played the attacker. You know, how dare they do this? I deserve better treatment than this. I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to go after them. He could have easily went on the attack. Or three, he could have just been an overcomer. He could have just simply did what he had always done and continued to stay faithful to his God. And can I tell you something? When the attacks come, when the offenses come, the best thing we can do is be an overcomer. And I know this is easier said than done because what these guys did to Daniel was highly, highly offensive. Daniel had done nothing wrong and yet because of this law, it set in motion a potential death sentence with it. So again, when God raises you up, Satan will try to tear you down. Here's the second truth. When you're facing offenses in life, you can choose how you will respond. Come on, you got a choice in the matter. Verse 10, watch this, Daniel 6. Even though Daniel, Daniel knew that this new law had been written, he went to pray in his upstairs room in his house, which had windows that opened toward Jerusalem. How many times? Three times a day. Daniel would kneel down and pray and thank God just as he had always done. If there ever was a time in our history that we needed to know what was Daniel's secret when the offenses come, that time is now. And here's what he did. He just simply did what he had always done. He prayed. Pastor Robert Madu, in a recent message, says that we are living in the age of offense. How many of you would agree with that? Let me, let me get a little... A little deep on you just for a moment. We're, get, we're living in the age of offense. Have you noticed that? Everybody is offended about something. Being offended has gone from being considered a character weakness to a constitutional right. I have a right to be offended. And if you're not offended, I'm offended that you're not offended. So everybody's offended. Men are offended, women are offended, millennials are offended, baby boomers are offended, the Democrats are offended, the Republicans are offended, the atheists are offended, the Christians are offended, the vegetarians are offended in Jesus' name. I'm not lying. Have you guys heard about this? The vegan animal rights activists, they're calling for the removal of animal-based metaphors. Metaphors like bring home the bacon. They're saying we can't say that anymore because you got to kill a pig in order to bring home the bacon. So now we're going to say bring home the bro broccoli. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding you. Phrases like you're beating a dead horse. You can't say that anymore. Now you got to say you're feeding a fed horse. Phrases like killing two birds with one stone. Now you got to say feeding two birds with one scone. All And you guys are laughing and you're thinking, man, these folks are just straight up cray cray. And you're right, they are. Amen. But here's a serious point. What's silly to you is serious to them. So serious that they're willing to go to jail in order to make their point. And that's the power of this thing, guys. 
An offense that is silly to you is serious to someone else. An offense that's serious to you could be silly to someone else. And, and listen, I don't care how spiritual you are. You could be so holy that you glow in the dark at night. Here's what I know. If somebody pushes the right buttons on the wrong day, a day when you forget to pray, you're going to be straight up right beside the cray crazy in jail. Here's what you need to understand. Lean in. No matter what the offense is, when you buy into it, you are playing into Satan's hands. Matter of fact, this thing is so serious that Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24 when he talked about the end of the age, the end of times. And the disciples come up and they were like, well, what's, what's going to be some of these signs when the end is near? And you know, Jesus lists several things, false teachers, wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms fighting against kingdoms and food shortages and earthquakes and all of these things. But in Matthew 24, 10, here it is. Watch what he says. And then shall, look at the wording here, many. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Luke said it's going to be impossible that in the last days that offenses should not come. They're going to happen. They're going to come to you. And Jesus says, hey, in the last days, open your eyes. Offenses are coming. But here's what I want you to get. This is why it's so important that you read your scripture. Because Jesus says, many will be offended. He didn't say everybody would be offended. Which tells me there's a difference between offense and being offended. Offenses are going to come to everybody, but not everybody is going to be offended. So let me give you this. The word offense in the Greek, it literally is a word that's scandalon, and it means snare or trap. It's like the bait that you put on a snare or a trap. Jesus says, hey, in the last days, there's going to be a lot of traps set. There's going to be a lot of snares. There's going to be a lot of bait that the enemy has left for you. He said, but you got to be careful because many people are going to take the bait and be ensnared, but not everybody has to be that way and this is what I want you to understand because offenses are coming and if the devil can get you to respond to an offense by being a f- offended then he has you trapped in a cycle of division and that's one of the Satan's favorite ways to divide couples families churches ethnic groups and nations this is why Paul instructed Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 26, it says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that they will come to their senses and escape, here it is, from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive. Why does the devil take us captive? To do his will. Did you follow that scripture right there? When a Christian becomes quarrelsome, it leads to resentment when you're trying to help people. When you gently instruct people, you break that person free from the enemy's trap 
And why does Satan trap us? To get us to do his will. So watch this. Jesus says, hey guys, in the last day, it's going to be impossible for you to live your life without an offense coming your way. But it is very possible to live your life without being offended. Are you following me? Offenses are going to come. And when they come, here's what you have to understand. When God raises you up, Satan will try to pull you back down. That's his favorite way to divide you. And one of his favorite weapons is to manipulate people. The second thing you've got to get is you choose how you're going to respond to the offense. You don't have to take the bait. You don't have to get caught in the snap or the trap. You can walk away from that. But then here's the third truth, and I'm going to let you go. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. We find this in Daniel 6, 20 and 22. Now Darius, he's upset. He knows he's been tricked by these guys. He can't get out of it. He had already set this law into motion. Daniel's lowered into the lion's den. And so here's Darius. He comes near to the dentist the next morning. He was worried. He called out to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, watch the wording here, that you always worship worship been able to save you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to close the lion's mouth. They've not hurt me because my God knows I'm innocent. I never did anything wrong to you, O king. Daniel comes out of the lion's den. The king, man, he is mad. He is like Joko mad. Come on, how many of you know there's a difference? There's a difference in just being mad and Joko mad. There is a difference. Amen. Live here long enough, you'll pick it up. So he is mad. He takes all of these guys, their families, everybody. He throws them into the lion's den. And I don't know, maybe the angel was tired of keeping the lion's mouths closed all night long, protecting Daniel. All I know is those Jokos, he didn't protect them. They all got eaten. Let me be clear. When Daniel determined in his heart to honor God, he did not know that he was going to be thrown in a lion's den. When Daniel knew that he would be thrown in the lion's den, he did not know that God was going to protect him. He didn't know. The only thing Daniel knew was simply this. I've been serving God for 80 some years. And he's always been faithful. And if he throws me in that lion's den, hey, God can take care of me. God can help me to not get a scratch on me. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to live my life for him. And I'm here to tell you guys, you can always trust God with the results. Does that mean that it's going to go your way every single time? Absolutely not. But at the end of the day, He's God. God, if you choose to heal me, if you choose to show up and do something, hey, that's great. I know you can do it. You're the great physician, Luke says. But even if you don't, you're still God. And I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be faithful to you. And here's, here's where Daniel was. You know, Pastor Madhu would go on and say in that message, what is your current level 
of offendability. You know what he's saying there? How much does it take for you to get offended? Some of you just got offended right then. How much does it take for you to get offended? I want you to lean in if you don't hear anything else I've said. Here's what I want you to hear. The bottom line is this. Our offendability is directly related to our spiritual maturity. Our offendability is directly related to our spiritual maturity. What does that mean? I'll never be able to handle the big things in life if it only takes the small things for me to be offended. Daniel's story makes clear to us that just because you're living right and doing right doesn't mean that you are exempt from the offenses that will come your way. The only question you have to ask yourself is how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? When you focus on Him, you can trust Him to always do what's right. Is this the America that you grew up in? I know I'm dating myself, and you guys, I asked, you know, Misty and I, my wife, we do, <laughs> we do a Facebook Live every Wednesday night and at 7 o'clock. So if you guys are on social media, jump on that. We have a good time. And we were talking, and we have, we have four kids. And one of the ladies the other night, I forget who it was, she said, Pastor, you don't look old enough to have four kids. I was like, oh, bless your heart, sweetheart. If you just only knew. Amen. <laughs> so I know I look young, but I'm not, okay? I've been around the block a little bit. I remember the days when we would sleep with all of the windows open and the front and back door open, and you just had a screen door. Come on. How many of you remember those days? I wouldn't dare. <laughs> as, as, as good as our neighborhood is, I would not dare sleep. Well, we got air conditioning now too. But anyway, I wouldn't dare sleep with the front and back door open. Which I mean, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. We're living in different times now. But it doesn't mean that God's not still in charge and still in control of everything that's going on. When you read in your Bible and when you read the book of Daniel, there's so much prophecy that's packed into Daniel. And you guys remember in Daniel, read it sometimes. And he talks about Nebuchadnezzar and how Nebuchadnezzar set up the statue. And the statue was like the head of gold. And then it went to brass and bronze. And then it was like mud and all of that. The, the, the theological uh, reasoning for that was that as time moves forward and every generation comes along, there is a dwindling away. You had gold, which is considered the purest. Then you had the silver, the bronze, the mud, the clay. Every generation, there is a dwindling away. Why? Because the stage is being set for the return of Christ. 
And so even though America may not have been the America that you grew up in, it's still America. And if there ever was a time for us to take what Daniel did and apply it to our lives, then that time is now. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know what your scripture reading looks like. I don't know. All I can tell you is if you want to make it in this thing called life and you want to go through here and not take hold of the offenses and be offended, you're going to have to be a person of prayer. You're going to have to read that book like your life depends on it and let salty tears run down your face and drip on those pages. You're going to have to do that. And that's what God's calling us to do is to just simply serve Him and live for Him and know that there's an enemy of your soul prowling around like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom He may devour. He wants to destroy you. But with the power of God around you, you're all right. Be careful who you battle against. It's not the person It's the enemy of your soul trying to attack you. Stand with me all over the house. Father, we thank you for our freedom. We thank you for this America that you've given us, Lord, to serve you and worship you. Right now, all over our world, There are people that have a longing to go into your house. But they're not able to. There are people right now that are serving you in caves. They're serving you in basements. There are people right now that are so hungry for your word. They're willing to give their lives for it. And God, we thank you for providing us with a place that we could come in unharmed to walk into this place to feel your presence to know you're here to lift up holy hands and to worship you as we celebrate our freedom God we just say thank you because ultimately it was you who's given us what we have now and Father we honor you and we glorify you And Father, my prayer for everybody in this room today is, Lord, that you would reignite the prayer life. Reignite those times where we just get into your word and read your scripture, Lord. Reignite those times because, God, if there ever was a time in the history of our world that we needed to do what Daniel did, that time is now. To be men and women of prayer. Men and women who are willing to serve you, who have already made the determination that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what I'm up against, God, you're going to be number one. And I'm not going to cave to the offenses that the enemy of my soul is sending my way. I'm serving you. I'm going all in for you. And I'm living for you in Jesus' name. And everybody in the church said... Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise all over the house.